Hi, my name is Simon and it's my privilege to be uh, speaking to you this morning. I'm speaking here to a largely empty room here at Henry Fry with a few people dotted around um, who I get to look at that helps me when I'm preaching. Um, so there we go. Um, I have a question to start with you for you this morning, which is a little bit strange. Um, and it's this, are you more like a jellyfish, a rhino or a horse? I'll say that again. Are you more like a jellyfish, a rhino or a horse? That might not make any sense right now, but I will ask you that question again at the end. And then maybe you might be able to answer it a little bit more clearly. To start with this morning, I want to take you back 2,000 years. And I want you to imagine a bit like um, Tessa was encouraging us to put ourselves in the, the shoes of the people who um, lived in those, those times of the, when the Bible was written. Imagine that you live in a small village near Jerusalem and your land has been forcibly taken from you by the Roman Empire. And so you live in occupied territory where now you've got to pay rent and you've got to pay taxes on land that actually once belonged to you. You probably wouldn't be best pleased. But you know that there are promises of a brighter future. Promises in the scriptures of a coming Messiah who's going to reign on King David's throne forever and will overcome all of his enemies and make everything right. Now, over the years, a few pretenders have come and gone. But now, someone has appeared who looks like he could be the real deal. He's been healing every sickness. Huge crowds have been flocking to hear him teach. And there's even been rumors of a voice sounding from heaven when he was baptized. Finally, it looks like someone has a come who's going to kick out the Romans. And so for the first time, you excitedly go up the side of a hill to uh, hear the crowds, to join the crowds and to begin to hear him teach. Is this the revolutionary battle cry? Dan Meakin is coming to join me for a moment to sort out my microphone, which is unusual to have live streamed, but hey-ho, there we go. I'll just wait while Dan's doing this. Thanks, Dan, while he's fiddling with my pocket. Um, this is what you hear spoken from the side of the mountain. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. In other words, those who are happy, those who are to be congratulated and envied are the meek, for they will inherit the land. What? What does that mean? How would that have been received by the people hearing it if you are a villager from outside Jerusalem? Maybe it would comfort you. You might think, okay, well, it's not the strong and the powerful who are going to endure and inherit the earth, but somebody else. But probably for a lot of people, it would have confused them. Well, where's this revolutionary battle cry? How can the meek inherit the land? Because the Romans are in it and they're not very meek. How are we going to get rid of them? You see, to our 21st century ears, I think this particular beatitude can sound just as confusing. And that's not helped by the dictionary definition on our understanding of the English word meek. I looked it up in the dictionary. And one particular one said this, someone who is meek is soft, tame, compliant, weak, and my personal favorite, spineless, spineless. See, these things reinforce the stereotype that a lot of people have of what Christians are like or are supposed to be like. They're very nice. They're quite 
inoffensive. They're kind of a doormat for people to walk all over and then they'll smile and bless you as they do. God bless you, brother. Please wipe your feet on me again. And as spineless as a jellyfish. Is this what Jesus is advocating? Are those the ones who are to be envied and congratulated? Fortunately, no. See, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the New Testament word that we translate here as meek is the Greek word praus. Okay? You can try and say that together at home. Praus. It's a word you've probably not heard before. It, in fact, only appears four times in the New Testament. And it's the word that is used, was used in Greek at that time to describe a wild horse who had been trained. So for a minute, I want you to imagine as this wild, powerful stallion arrives at the stables and someone tries to put a bit in its mouth for the first time and to put a bridle over or even try and put a saddle on its back and it's rearing and going, no, no, what are you doing? Get off, get off, get off. It's kind of throwing all of these things off. A bit like in the children's game Buckaroo, which I used to play when I was a child and everything goes everywhere. But gradually over time, this horse learns to wear the bit and the bridle and the saddle and eventually to carry a rider. This horse would now be described as praus, as meek. Just as much strength, just as much power as before, but that strength is now under control. This beautiful mix of gentleness and power. This is what Jesus is talking about. You could maybe um, rewrite this beatitude a bit more fully, a bit like this. Blessed are the broken, whose strength, whether you have much or little, is under God's control, for they will inherit the earth. This is not actually the first time in the Bible that this idea has been introduced. If you go into the Old Testament, into the book of Psalms, David writes about this too. This is Psalm 37, verse 5 to verse 11. It appears on the screen. It says this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more, though you look for them, they won't be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. See, I think this psalm helps us understand meekness a little bit more. I think this tells us that meekness is about stillness. Stillness. It says in verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. As this psalm describes, there's a lot around us in the world that's vexing, isn't it? That's confusing. We see injustice and cruelty and hatred. Our TV screens are filled with bad news. But in contrast, those who are meek, those who are praus, are at peace. For they have stilled and quietened their souls in God. They know that ultimately, as we were singing earlier on, he's in charge. And instead of despairing over everything they see, they put their trust and their hope 
and their confidence in him, knowing that ultimately he's going to prevail rather than evil. You see, in the midst of difficult and challenging times, just like those that we've been living through over these last few months, God doesn't change, as we sang earlier on. God doesn't fret. He's not like you've got a picture in heaven of the Father speaking to the angel saying, Oh, Gabriel, have you seen the virus numbers are sp- spiking in Birmingham? <gasps> what are we going to do? How are Jubilee Church Coventry going to cope? Or did you read that article uh, about 1,000 people applying for one job? Oh, it's going to be tricky. I'm not quite sure how we're going to sort that one out. God doesn't fret. God is in control and we, we can trust him and know, therefore, extraordinary peace in difficult situations. That can be our experience as we submit ourselves to our great rider, as we are praus, as we are meek before him. See, I wonder this morning, have you committed your way to the Lord? Are you being still? Are you giving yourself, as Paula was encouraging us in the notices, to stillness, to time with him? Because that changes everything as we rest in his presence. So meekness is about stillness, but it's also about self-control. It goes on to say, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Don't throw your crayons all over the floor. It's easy to become eaten up by the evil and injustice that we see around us, isn't it? And that we experience ourselves. Maybe when we're unfairly criticized, maybe when we're overlooked or feel like we've been harshly treated. We kind of want to react. We want to kind of rhino it and charge and kind of defend ourselves and take people on. But instead of responding in anger or harshness or being provoked easily, the meek, as described here, respond very differently. We've looked in the last couple of weeks, haven't we, about blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, those who've got an accurate view of themselves and who grieve over the fact that they are spiritually bankrupt. They're empty and broken before God and therefore they're ideally positioned to receive grace and comfort and forgiveness because they know it doesn't come from themselves. It's amazing. As we have that accurate assessment of ourselves and realize that everything we have is a totally unmerited gift, we don't deserve anything, it means that we can then respond graciously and gently, meekly with other people when they don't deserve it. The Bible's got a lot to say about gentleness, and that's a whole other talk that we could look at another day. Suffice to say that gentleness, the Bible says, is to be one of the defining characteristics of Christians, particularly leaders. And the Apostle Paul encourages us to let our gentleness be evident to all. Everyone you see, is your gentleness evident to all? To your spouse, to your children, to your family, to your friends, to other people in the church, to your work colleagues when they annoy you to call centre operators who interrupt your day and try and sell you something on the phone. Is your gentleness evident to all? But here's a question for you to finish as we look at this. Does meekness and being meek mean that you do nothing? Do you remain silent in the face of evil and just smile and nod? No. You see, meekness is not weakness and self-control is not inaction. The meek don't respond in anger, but it doesn't mean you don't get angry. But it means doing so in the right way at the right time. 
And here's a good example of that. In the 1950s and 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr. played an incredibly powerful and significant role in the American civil rights movement as he emphasized non-violent protests. This is an extract which I found from a sermon that he delivered in 1957. I thought it was pretty cool. He said this, to our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure it. We cannot in good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is just as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we will still love you. But be rest assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we will win freedom, but not just for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double one. Wow. I, I read that. It's so inspirational. This incredible example of strength under control for the glory of God and for good of other people, but without remaining silent. As good an example, though, as Martin Luther King Jr. is, there is a better one still. And his name is Jesus. This is how he describes himself in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am praus. It's the same word that Jesus uses. I am meek, I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus exemplified, didn't he, strength under control. He was the one that wouldn't bruise, wouldn't break a bruised reed because he's so gentle. He didn't lash out in anger when he was lied against and people spoke against him. He was no rhino, but he was no jellyfish or doormat. He took on the religious establishment of his day, challenging hypocrisy, driving people out of the temple, didn't he? Whoa, you know, this is no retiring wallflower. But it was under control. And he exemplified stillness in his, in his relationship with his father, not insisting on his own way, but praying, Father, let your will be done, even in the face of the cross. His reward is inherited the earth. All authority in heaven and earth is his, not by conquest, but by sacrifice. And one day the meek one will reign forever. And we, his meek people, will reign with him, inheriting a new heavens and a new earth. An endless and abundant peace will be ours forever. For blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So, are you a jellyfish? Are you a rhino? Or are you a horse? Do you fly off the handle? Will you allow yourself to be walked all over? Or is your strength under God's control? Thanks for listening this morning. I'm going to hang back to Paul. God bless you this week um, in all that you do.